to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with me, Chris Moss and Jake Peach. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. All you got to do is just search Around the Outside podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO podcast underscore on Instagram. So on our latest episode, we'll be looking back at the Fiesta of Mexico City. We'll be taking a look ahead to the Carnival of Sao Paulo. We're going to reveal all the news and gossip that's happened within the last week as well. And we're also going to discuss our favourite top five moments of the season so far. All right, let's get to it here on Around the Outside of Mexico City, last time out. So, the battle for the lead ended after just turn one. Max going around the outside of Valtteri Bottas and, oh, he never looked back. He romped away with the win. Absolute dominant display from Max. And, yeah, was utterly, you know, away with the fairies. Dominant. Pure dominance. Um, But that car did look very, very good over the weekend. Um, however, the biggest battle came for the P2 position, uh, which included Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez. And that was probably one of the greatest battles them two have had together this season. Um, obviously, the home faithful were hoping for a Red Bull 1-2. Um, but Lewis Hamilton, with much older tyres, did manage to hold on to grab that P2. Valtteri Bottas doing his bit for the team, stealing the fastest lap point away from, I think, Sergio Perez at the time, uh, who was on very uh, newer tyres uh, on, on the hard tyres and um, yeah keeping Mercedes that one point ahead of Red Bull in the Constructors Championship a very strong weekend for Red Bull speaking of Bottas obviously the man who took pole got that special uh, Fangio trophy mm. had a bit of a poor race you know he took the lead got an okay start but he was just very cautious into that first corner Max <laughs> going around the outside Lewis going on the inside and then a locking Daniel Ricciardo hits the back of Valtteri, spins at the back of the grid. Luckily, there's a safety car, but that doesn't stop Valtteri looking at the rear of that McLaren for the entire race, literally struggling to get past Mercedes out power on Mercedes power. And Mercedes power won, but not with Valtteri Bottas at the hand of it. <laughs> now, we had a bit of a, a DRS train going on there when Ricciardo and Bottas well, were trying to make their way back through the pack, or they, they kind of didn't, did they? They just sort of stayed where they were. And just the way Mexico is with the with the straights and, and the configuration of the track, it's just really difficult to pass anyone. And going into turn one, basically, or taking Lewis's words here, Bottas kind of left the door open for Verstappen and just a really opportunist, had the optimum racing line on the outside, made the the angle of into into the into turn one and then two and three really, you know, the the most shallow that it could be and, and straight as it could be to then have the fastest racing line. And once Max was passed on the outside, as you say, he kind of romped away with the uh, the victory. There was no really no catching him, no stopping him. And uh, Hamilton very sort of quickly realised, well, I mean, it was quite obvious, but I think it was about seven laps after that battle commenced. He was like, he's quick. <laughs> yeah, of course he is. Yeah, I, th- I think he pretty <laughs> much said that the entire race. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, bo- both Red Bulls were, you know, very quick. Um but you know we're gonna we're gonna heap some praise on the second Red Bull driver Sergio mm. Perez. He became the first Mexican driver own, like to to lead his own Grand Prix, 
Um, but not only that, but he claims a historic first podium in front of his home fans as well. And the celebrations after the race went even further. And, you know, they were on the same sort of levels as we, we, we saw for Silverstone, for Lewis Hamilton mm. winning, and Max Verstappen for winning at Zandvoort. I mean, the scenes in Mexico were, you know, amazing. It's incredible. Having that stadium section on that track is just absolute genius because obviously that's where they do all the podium celebrations afterwards. But every time Sergio Perez drove through basically the third sector before he come onto that really, really long straight, one of the longest on the calendar, it's... yeah, it just it just erupted, and and Sergio himself was saying he could hear the atmosphere w- within the car, even though with his his helmet on and he's got his earpieces in, talking to his engineers on the radio. It's just deafening, and uh, it must have been such an incredible atmosphere. Certainly, a race that I would love to go to am- amongst many, but certainly that one, the atmosphere and the food and just the the vibe must just be incredible. Absolutely, I mean we've heard like Lewis Hamilton and Nigel Mansell say the home fans give you such a boost mm. but also they it gives you time you know Nigel Mansell famously said like it gave him seven tenths of a second like the home crowd cheering him on I mean Sergio was as close to Max as he's been all season mm. in terms of qualifying mm. do you reckon that that sort of same level of driving is what helped Sergio in qualifying I mean he was very close to beating Max well I mean when you when you say same level I think he he's kind of built up to where he is now isn't he he's got more and more comfortable as the season's gone on um, with the car and and people were saying in Azerbaijan and Baku that Perez had finally found his form it had taken him six or seven races to get to grips with the Red Bull Um, but then of course that race was a bit different isn't it because we had Verstappen's tyre blowing out on the straight and then we had Hamilton um, in that two lap sprint that we had uh, at Baku at the end of that race then bin it off into in into turn one and, and locked up and that was the end of his race and then Perez sort of went away and, and got the win there so that wasn't representative at the time but yeah certainly in the last couple of races I mean if we think back to the last race before that in Cota in Texas uh, around Austin he was he was on fire um literally as well because he didn't have a drink for the whole race but he was also driving very well um so yeah I think He's definitely been more of a rear gunner, but then uh, as we'll come on to in a moment, we've had the first practice sessions in Brazil when things have completely swung again. So it really is uh, all to play for. And I think this season particularly more than anything, and as we said with McLaren previously, it's very track dependent this season. And uh, there are lots of factors at play with engine penalties and people taking new power units or new MGUHs and components and everything. So there's, a, I think there's lots more different things to think about this season, particularly with the effect of the, the pandemic and, and all of that. And so we're going to go on to another driver who hasn't really changed much this season. He's been mm. as consistent as ever, and that is Pierre Gasly. Another stellar performance, P4 in the AlphaTauri. Had yet another quiet race, but you know he's picking up them points. I mean, that's another 12 points to go towards his bank. And yeah, he's driving the wheels off that AlphaTauri, Jake. Well... We know the pace that he has. We know his capability. We know the last time we raced around Interlagos, he claimed that famous podium right on the line against Hamilton, who was chasing him down behind him, but couldn't quite pull it off. And it was such a magical moment. And then everyone talks about Pierre Gasly, you know, going to Red Bull. We we, know, we didn't go well for him the first time because of that curse of that second Red Bull seat, which Perez has had a 
on a couple of occasions this season, I would say, particularly Turkey, but not as much. But, you know, Pierre Gasly can keep driving the wheels off of his car and putting it where it needs to be and, and, and beyond that. But where is he going to take this, you know, this strong performance into the next couple of seasons? We know that he's not going to be driving for Red Bull next season on the grid. And he's going to, you know, he's very comfortable with the Alpha Tauri, but it looks... It just looks very odd and strange and a bit of an awkward position for Pierre and the way he was treated at Red Bull and like, you know, he's sort of bit stuck in a bit of a a paradox, really. He's kind of doesn't really know where to take his next step because we know he's got the no. pace and he keeps showing it every weekend, but it's not really being in the Red Bull programme. He's either going to have to sort of, you know, suck it up and, and stay with Alphatari and remain happy there, which I think he is. Or he's going to have to think about breaking out the Red Bull programme and possibly thinking about somewhere for the 2023 season. Yeah, I mean, one one of the rumours I've heard um, a lot this season with Gasly's performances is either he gets given the 2023 seat at Red Bull, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is potential, and that'll be obviously alongside Max. Um, but the, the, the strong rumour I've heard is him potentially going to Alpine to make mm-hmm. an entire French team with Ocon. Well, what about that? That would be quite cool. Um, but, I mean, I think, judging by Alpine's performance this season, um, um, I mean, of course, Ocon had that win um, at Hungary, which was, it, it kind of, there was lots of things that happened in, as a result for that to, to become possible. But apart from that Grand Prix in Hungary, you really wouldn't say Alpine are in a place at the moment where they can be sort of, well, you know, on the pace of Alpha Tauri. It'd be nowhere near Alpha Tauri, um if we're honest this season, um, but as we know, sort well, of new, new regulations. <laughs> yeah, but 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 the but the new regulations going into next season, we know as we've mentioned many times, are going to completely change things. So, yeah, certainly on paper it looks great as an option, and it would be very iconic, I think, to have Alpine really sticking to their their home roots, of course, of, of their of their country, France, and uh, having two French drivers that would be. That'd be pretty amazing, but we'll see what happens. But um, I mean, yeah, as we say, Gasly not getting enough praise that he should be at the moment with all of the title battle going on and he consistently putting it up there in P4, P5. And you've got to remember this Alpha Tauri car, it should not really be there considering when you think about back to Toro Rosso days and, and, and where Alpha Tauri were maybe at the start of the season. But they've really, really developed that car very well and with with the drivers on board as well. Um, hopefully he can pass some of that pace on to Yuki Tsunoda as well and be both on par and finishing next to each other on the grid. It'd be great for, for Yuki to be able to get back up there. I mean, mm. He's had a P6 this season, so it'll be good to, to see two Alpha Tauris there. Mm. Obviously, going to go a little bit further to the back of the grid, starting-wise in Mexico. Um, obviously, I predicted Lando to get podium. Yeah, which was, Probably an which hour was insane. After we recorded. After an hour after we recorded, he then took his full <laughs> uh, engine penalty, so he started <laughs> at the back of the grid. Um, he didn't get his podium, so I'm not getting my Nando's, so mm, I'm nope. disappointed. Uh, but he did come through the pack. He did get uh, a single point um, in P10. Um, but... Overall, for a weekend, McLaren had an absolute shocker. Yeah, it wasn't um, great. Uh, Lando's now 15 points behind Sergio Perez in the championship. He's uh, in P5 now. Um, but not only that, McLaren, who were three and a half points ahead of Ferrari going into Mexico, they've they've lost 17 points. They're now 13 and a half points behind Ferrari, mm. who I'm sure are 
special guest Ryan is quietly celebrating at Marinello, <laughs> um, whereas our other special guest Sarah is probably a little bit head in her hands. Yeah, <laughs> all the but, elation um, from Monza, ironically, at Ferrari's track, and now they're the Ferrari, the Tifosi are rubbing it back in their face towards the end of the season. But Ferrari have just really turned it around. They really seem to have found this real it's got edge a bit of mojo about them. Yeah. It's sort of, sort of like picking up the end of the season where they were losing it in 2018. This mm. is where they're, they're, they've sort of found their form. Mm. Um, but this this battle for P3 and the Constructors is you know just as exhilarating as what the battle for the actual Constructors Championship is. Yeah, I would, I would go with that. And I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've seen a Constructors title this close as well. If you think about Red Bull and Mercedes, I mean, one point between them at the moment, I think that's just incredible. With the Constructors, it's normally one team in you know in the past decade, let's be honest, that's been running away with it, um, even if it's been fairly close on the track. But it just shows the consistency and the level of performance that the teams are really striving for. And the same goes for this third place. It's I don't think it's ever been this close. You could possibly say it was quite close with Racing Point towards the end of, of that season, a couple of seasons ago, uh, before like, last season. So, yeah, it's all to play for. It's really exciting and teams are really on it this year more than more than ever and uh, it's of course ever more important with the constructors title at the end of this season with that all important prize money going into the next season with the totally new regulations and configurations of these F1 cars yeah so that's our little rundown of what happened in Mexico let's go on and find out the latest news in Formula 1 So uh, the first bit of news we want to bring is um, some, some good news. Um, Charles Leclerc uh, had a great race, finished in the P5 in Mexico. But at the end of the Grand Prix weekend, he got on the phone with Sergio Perez and rang him up and congratulated him after a fantastic podium, wished him well of how he'd done his Grand Prix, but also expressed his gratitude of how he celebrated with his family. Mm-hmm. Obviously for Charles, who, you know, gave everything he had for his father sadly lost his father um in his formula two winning season in 2017 he did make a promise to his dad to say that he would get to formula one which he did the following season Mm. and he would also become a ferrari driver which he did the season after his debut season so a promise very well kept from charles but also a very good feel good story um uh, from Charles Leclerc and you know it's a fantastic thing to see from a great and fantastic upcoming driver well just a fantastic human as well to have that that empathy for for Checo and and you know not be bitter about seeing Sergio celebrate with his father and, and look at it like that it just shows the kind of person that Charles Leclerc is and on the track and off the track it's just lovely it melted my heart when I when I read that uh, sort of during the week and lead up to this race it was nice and um yeah, just showing that he's a really nice all-round guy in Charles Leclerc. Uh, moving on to Verstappen. Now, um, of course, this would be Verstappen because he's so confident and assured. Not to the point of being cocky, but he's almost at, he's always exuding this just, well, yeah, irrepressible confidence at the moment. No one can stop him. And he said he would absolutely use number one in the 2022 season if he was to win the title uh, and and Hamilton did for the first couple didn't he and then he reverted so back he, he, to he had it in 2009 but that's when it was compulsory they had to run, uh, run, oh. like run the number one yeah and obviously now 
yeah, it's it's choice. You can stick with your number because obviously the numbers that they race with has some sentimental value. We know with Hamilton forty four, that was his karting number, and there's a lot of drivers carry on their karting numbers because it obviously has a lot of of meaning and shows their journey up through the the ranks to to F one. But yeah, Verstappen taking number one. Are you surprised by that, Chris? I don't think I'm not really. <laughs> no, not not really. <laughs> Um, and kind of on the same vein with Red Bull, moving on to some comments made by Honda's Formula One technical chief, uh, Toyoharu Tanabe, this weekend, Chris. Yeah, apparently you can't believe how many penalties um, the Mercedes are racking up this season. I mean, it is quite a lot. I mean, Mercedes are normally very, very reliable in their engines. Mm. Um, but this season, they seem to be sort of, I don't know, popping a little bit more than what they're used to. Well, this is. I was chatting to you before we recorded this about about this point, and I'm I'm very interested to see and find out possibly towards the end of season once everything's you know the close of play is done as to whether this is strategic because Red Bull have been claiming that Hamilton's new engine per race keeps putting in new engines left, right, and centre. It's worth about two tenths to what the you know the pace would be if you just stuck with the same engine. Or are Mercedes genuinely having to do this because of reliability problems, and they're just you know taking all the precautions necessary because they don't want obviously Hamilton or Bottas really, but especially Hamilton to DNF this season because the points are so so crucial. It's so tight. How do you how do you see it? I I can't really make my mind up. I mean, I feel like if Mercedes wouldn't need to take a penalty, they wouldn't. So I feel like they are worried mm. Mm. about potentially an engine failing on them, which if an engine failed at this point in the season with the, the gap between Max and Lewis in the title, I feel it would, instead of one finger being on the trophy for Max, it would be an entire hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like they're doing it for for reasons but at the same point we know that a brand new engine can blow up at any time as well yes it is you know the the sad fact of motorsport you know you're gonna potentially be unlucky i mean we saw in 2016 hamilton's engine blew up in malaysia and that hand in hand gave rosberg the points he needed for the championship so you don't think mercedes are consciously doing this to try and gain like literal true performance i feel like a couple of valtteri bottas's engines were more to try and benefit Hamilton, which in yeah. Russia definitely didn't work. No, um, <laughs> did not but, at all. Yeah, I feel like they they were trying to do it at the tracks that advantage them to do it. So, I mean, we've seen this weekend already in FP1, Hamilton. You know, he's he's flying, mm. so mm. Mm. it might be quite a good track. And we we know compared to Mexico, Brazil is a track you can overtake at. Yes. So yeah, it's um. Yeah, probably better to do it here than say Mexico, but I know a lot of people were like, "Well, why didn't you do it at, at the United States when mm, you know mm, it is mm. quite an easy place to overtake as well?" Well, some would argue though, also at the same time, it's not because of the long straight and the DRS train we had in Mexico. So I think it's each their own anyway. You, you can do it any time, and people can speculate. And but yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure about it. I I, I feel like there is a degree of supreme confidence that Mercedes know if they have you know a better a better car overall in it in terms of pace that with an engine right from the start of the season where they were and they believe that they are still ahead if they were sort of you know to have zero percent wear on the components I feel like there is an element of that I feel Mercedes are number one still 
I feel I, I don't know. I don't know if that's going a bit over the top, but I have a feeling. I just have a feeling that they they think a little bit like that, but it could be genuine reliability, which, as we know, would be quite shocking for Mercedes, who are so used to not seeing um, have reliability problems, especially in the last few years. OK, let's move on to rumours now that have been circulating in the paddock about Aston Martin's team principal, Otmar Schnaffauer, about what would be a shock move to Alpine next season. This has sort of come out a bit of, a bit of nowhere, Chris. And however, in true F1 style, he's denied the claims and said he remains loyal, including the many offers he's had in the last 12 years whilst working in different guises of the Aston Martin team. Of course, started a BAR Honda, then Honda, then Braun, then uh, Force India, Racing Point, and so on and so on. I, I wanted to sort of bring up the on that point though, Chris, there's always been a quite interesting relationship between Lawrence Stroll and Otmar. And if you've been um, a viewer of the Drive to Survive series, we kind of saw it there um, and, and sort of the racing point there and towards that and moving across to Aston Martin. Lawrence Stroll, I mean, he holds no no grudges at all. Uh, well, he just, I'd say he doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't hold back and he says it how it is and he's, he's a pretty serious businessman. And I can see, I don't know, on some Drive to Survive ep- episodes and in the paddock sometimes, I've seen clips and, and footage and read a couple of things that Otmar Schnaffauer mm, has a really oh, a difficult time keeping the ship steady, especially, you know, with the ambition that Lawrence Stroll has for that Aston Martin team. How do you, how do you read all of it? I mean, it's the same with anything. I mean, we saw under Ron Dennis and McLaren, you know, mm, you have a mm. big personality leading the team. Um, with all the money. Yeah, it, it doesn't always go well. I mean, Ron Dennis then backed away and Martin Whitmarsh then took over as team principal whilst Ron Dennis was a major stakeholder in McLaren. And again, sort of didn't, not, nothing really sort of materialised. So I don't feel... It's too much in terms of Otmar. It's a range of things that potentially can improve for a team like that. But at the same point, it's not been a great season. But unlike in, say, football terms, I mean, Lawrence Scholl doesn't need to get rid of Otmar Safanar. Like, mm. He knows that you've got new regulations next year. It could be completely changed. They could be the team to beat they could potentially get you your Nandos if you predict them to get second next year. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things that you, you don't want to do too hastily. I mean, mm, mm. F- Formula One's a very different business to say football. Um, but there's also a very limited amount of people who can do the jobs they can do. Yeah, who have the skills and the know-how. Um, mm. You know, otherwise you're going to have to go further afield. I mean, we've seen Ferrari bring in people from other disciplines within the Ferrari mm. family mm. to try and run the, the team principal job. Um, and obviously, Matteo Bonotto has obviously been one of the longest serving team principals in the past sort of 15 odd years, along mm. with Stefano Domenicali and... Um, and Riccio Arrivabeni as well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, you know, you got to sort of take, you take the rough with the smooth as well. Mm. Um, but I don't feel Otmar I think if he's feel comfortable with Aston Martin then you know one one season with the new regulations is probably where he's going to stay yeah if after that he still feels un- if he feels uncomfortable then maybe he'll look to to move yeah. but if he's had many jobs from other places beforehand and he's turned him away to stay where he is 
then there's a higher chance he'll stay at yeah. Aston Martin. It says a lot. I think people are very just in, interested, particularly in the speculation, because of maybe the bit of the bumpy ride that Aston Martin have had this season compared to where I, they thought they were. I think, I think going loyalty to in F1 as well is, is quite a rare thing. Mm, mm. I mean, drivers, you know, in the Red Bull programme, is, <laughs> is the Red Bull programme truly loyal? Mm, not really. Well, not from the Red Bull side anyway. No, so... Um, in that sort of terms of things, I think, you know, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, very loyal. He's Lewis has been his entire career with a Mercedes engine. Yeah. Um, you know, and Jensen Button, I'm pretty sure if Jen, if Honda hadn't have gone out of the sport in 2009, mm-hmm. Jensen probably would have raced with Honda for many more years. Obviously, he then went to Braun and then Braun got took over and he then went to McLaren. Yeah. But they obviously came back with a, a Honda engine, which you know, sort of <laughs> got that tie back with Jensen. Mm. But I'm pretty sure Jensen would have stayed with Honda for many t- uh, years to come as well. Yeah. But loyalty these days is very, very rare. I, I think, you know, we'll see Max stay at Red Bull. We'll see Charles stay at Ferrari. Um, we'll see Lando probably stay the McLaren, with, yeah. um, with McLaren and, and Georgia and Mercedes. I think aside from that, you're going to see a lot of drivers chopping and changing where they can. Yeah. Well, you were mentioning before about Matteo Binotto at Ferrari and having to bring them in. Um, Binotto's been making some comments about looking ahead to the seasons after 2025 when we have sort of this new um, power unit in F1 to um, have brought these new manufacturers into play. So some new teams on the grid uh, in Porsche and VW. So... They're hoping to plan, planning to join the the grid in in a few seasons' time, and he is a bit unsure about the concessions that could be given to these possible new teams. If you remember, a couple of teams coming onto the grid um, in terms of um, you know having prize not prize money shared, but the amount of money that they can be given when they're joining F1 and the allowance of how much they can spend. If you remember, there's been some criticism about that in the past because when Marussia came on board, Caterham and HRT, those teams. Those times are looked back on and I think lots of people in F1 have kind of said that it should have been done a bit differently. They should have had maybe a bit more money to get them up on a bit more of a level playing field and actually up into the middle of the grid and not right at the back. And you could argue maybe similar for for Haas, although Haas does have a, a bit more money, not as much as obviously other teams on the grid. But there's been criticism in the past that F1 teams just haven't been treated as close to equally as possible when they come into the sport. But then Matteo Bonotto is kind of against this. He's basically saying because of the agreement that Formula 1 have come to with Porsche and VW to possibly join the grid in uh, 2025 and onwards, um, taking out that MGUH component. So basically you just don't have any heat recovery anymore in the power unit. It's just the kinetic and the ICE and the turbo. Well, the turbo would be MGH, wouldn't it? Um, and their experience in other motorsport series, such as Formula E for Porsche and VW, says that they don't need a leg up because of that. They've got all the experience in in other series to be getting on fairly well with, with everything else. And Ferrari coming out and talking on this particularly, you know, being the heritage team, being the team that's been in every season of F1, it's particularly interesting as well. Don't you think, Chris? And how do you how do you sort of take on it? Do you think Porsche VW should have some allowance coming onto the grid for their first ever time, or do you kind of agree with Bonotto's point? I mean, it's a difficult one. I mean, we, we obviously saw Lotus, Virgin, and HRT come in. 
they literally had no leg ups. They were very much at the back of the grid. And then, you know, in 2014, we saw Haas come in and they had a huge input from Ferrari. Mm. They were a midfield team from the get go. And, you know, they were outperforming quite a lot of, you know, teams like Williams. At the start. Yeah. So it's sort of a bit tongue in cheek, really, from, from Matteo Bonotto to say that when his team was the one that gave Haas the ability to have so many mm. of their points in Formula 1. Yeah, good point. Um, which, you know, even now they still provide engines and support for, for the Haas team. Mm. So, you know, it's... I feel Porsche and VW and any other sort of teams looking to come in, they will... If they're going to look to come in for 2025, they'll start doing some sort of development. Mm. They'll start sort mm. of looking. You know, teams like Mercedes might offer sort of like some sort of guidance being sort of a German based team, you know, they might ask all the teams just for a sort of bit of guidance as to, as to whatnot. And they might start a bit like what Aston Martin have done. They might start poaching some of their top guys to, <laughs> yeah, to sort of help them out with that. And especially Alpine but, going in that direction as well. Yeah. So it's, it's always, so, someone's always going to be better off than someone else. That's how F1 has always been. Yeah. You know, Red Bull started very much towards the back of the grid when it came in in 2005 from Jaguar. Mm -hmm. They've worked their way up. They're now at the front of the grid. Um, It it was a very sort of four or five years before they got to the front. Um, But they eventually got there. So I don't see why another team starting from scratch couldn't potentially do the same. I mean, Mercedes came in, they took over a championship winning team, but... 2010 they were nowhere near a championship winning team they were midfield and had to work their way again again four years time they they end up dominating so it it can happen i think people again it's going back to sort of like that football thing it's it's a project it's it's a marathon not a sprint yeah um unless it's a sprint race then it's sprint. (laughs) but um, yeah, you, you got to look at it as a long-term project. I mean, HRT, Lotus, Virgin, they were so out of their depth yeah. that they thought they could come in. They expected these price caps, which never came in, and it killed them off. Whereas we now have a price cap. We know what the budgets are. It. I think any teams looking to come into F1 need to really look to make sure they one can financially do it. Yeah like for a sustained amount of time i think it's a lot more predictable now with these new rules going forward yeah so i feel like now is probably the best time if any for new teams to come in Mm. no that's fair enough Uh, a couple more quick points on the news and we'll move on to our moments of the season which we will squeeze into this episode um we were wondering whether there's even going to be a race this weekend the grand prix uh, in sao paulo because there were some issues with freight and getting the cars over from the race in in mexico last time out to the track in brazil where we raced this weekend bad weather meant that some of the cargo had to go via miami and i was hearing a few days ago six teams didn't even have a car by Thursday morning and I believe some of the teams on Wednesday didn't none of the teams on the grid had an, any engine at all so of course <laughs> that wouldn't have worked but uh, of course we are racing in, in Brazil right now as the weekend's underway and how DHL have pulled that off and, and, and of course the long standing relationship they have with F1 I don't know logistically it's quite incredible how stuff has moved around so fast around the world it's I think it's pretty magical really um, 
But yeah, that that problem was overcome in true F1 style. Anything is possible, I guess, in this sport. Uh, and then finally, final bit of news for this week. Um, the Brundle Clause, is what it's being called now, has been introduced to stop bodyguards getting in the way of celebrity interviews on the grid, or any interviews that matter, before a race gets underway. Of course, if you remember back to... The American uh, Grand Prix at Cota in Austin. We had Martin Brundle and his little moment trying to talk to Megan Thee Stallion, a rapper, uh, and his bodyguard basically got in the way of <laughs> of Martin for a, uh, about 10 seconds. And then another bit of the entourage said to Martin, you can't do that. And he turned around and was like, I just did. Um, but now there's going to be none of that because there won't be allowed to be any bodyguards to stop that. So um, I think that's a good move, Chris, don't you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I think also I saw that it's now compulsory if they get interviewed on the grid, they have to oblige. Otherwise, what's the point of them being on the grid? Yeah. I mean, we we love to see people, but Martin Brundle, you know, twice he's tried to interview Serena and Venus and both of them have turned their nose up. So <laughs> I feel it's it's a good thing. It'll stop these celebrities that don't really want to be there and literally go in there just to say, oh, I was at the F1, when they don't really care about the sport. Yeah. And you've got like, fans like Ben Stiller, he was there. He was more than happy to talk. He knows his stuff. He's been to many of them. Gordon Ramsay, another one. Absolutely loves going to the Grand Prix. Mm. Knows his stuff. Talks to the drivers. Talks to the media. You know, they're the sort of celebrities fans love because they know what they're talking about and th- they want to be there. Yeah. For me, like uh, as we mentioned last time, Megan The Stallion. Uh, one, I mean, not many people really know her. If she you're means be nothing watching to F1. me. <laughs> literally, and um, yeah, like it was literally pointless for like many, many of the fans to, to really have had an interview with her to be perfectly honest but Martin Brundle did his job savage um, and yeah I'm, I'm glad the Brundle clause has come in I just want to go back to the thing that you said about the um, cars not being there for the Grand Prix oh yeah just for this weekend yeah yeah um, they could have done a sprint race where they did one lap where they run around the track and then a three lap race <laughs> on the Sunday <laughs> where they all run around and see who's the fastest one. <laughs> well, then that's judging the fitness of drivers, not the... Oh, God, that would be yeah, totally well, different. It could, yeah, you, could have, yeah, you could have... You Nicholas never know. You could have had a, had a, had a, yeah. could have had a house one too. You could have a Nicholas Latifi taking, taking pole position. How incredible. All right. <laughs> um, that's all the news uh, rounding up for this weekend uh, or in the last week or so. We are going to just take a moment now to reflect on our top moments of the season. Well, look, we're coming towards the closing races of this scintillating F1 season. So me and Chris thought it would be a good time just to take stop before we go through this whirlwind of the last few races towards the end of the season. Just to look back on our top five moments uh, joint top five moments I want to say we haven't got ten to give you uh, top five moments together uh, here on around the outside of the ones we think that have really stood out to us throughout this season and I think well I'm, I'm, it's not going to be in any chronological order but maybe in sort of the most um, fantastic or incredible moments if that was such an, an incredibility perhaps uh, for me at the top of that is Russell's lap at Spa in that really treacherous conditions um from, yeah, that was just it was just such an incredible lap. George Russell, we knew it was looking very likely that he was going to Mercedes. We weren't quite sure at that moment at Spa what was going to happen. But his lap going around Spa in the Williams and manage, managing to nearly put it on pole before I think Hamilton came along and took that away from him and ended up being P2. 
I don't think it can be understated how incredible that was. Yeah, it's you know it was an incredible lap, and obviously because we didn't get any racing on the Sunday, George Russell ended up getting a second place on on the podium. So, you know, it just shows that qualifying does count quite yes. big for you know races like that. Even if it was so, even if it was half points. And say so even, even well, obviously me and Jake the way we did it, we we chose five and we sort of looked at the best five out of out within them, and both of us both agreed that George Russell's lap at Spa was oh without you know, doubt probably one one of the the highlights, if not the highlight of the season so far. And uh, to be fair, another one that we both agreed on was Daniel Ricciardo's performance and win at mm. Monza. Mm. I mean, you know, Ricciardo had a very poor start to the season, you know, in his McLaren compared to Lando Norris. But the way he drove at Monza, you know, the experience, the, you know, the, the consistency, the speed, it was completely on pure merit no mistakes you know the, the front runners you know they were behind ricardo before they crashed out you know it, it was you know purely you know well-deserved victory for, for daniel ricardo and you know for, for us it was definitely worth being in our top five moments of the season it was lovely to see that he got to that point in you know in in the calendar and really uh, a track that we didn't really expect mclaren to do well at we have known that McLaren in previous years is known for its chassis and the kind of the, you know, a good chassis normally gets you through the, the corners quicker rather than long, long straights. But the Mercedes engine and the the drag, the, or the not the drag that the McLaren produces gave it a really fast car that weekend. And it was a 1-2 as well with Norris in, in P2. It was, uh, it was great to see. And I guess up there, before we mention any others, we have to mention Hamilton's 100th win because this is just incredible what a landmark achievement 100 wins never been done by a race driver in the history of the sport before and of course that came along and Hamilton did it and he had to wait a little while I think before by my memory before he got that 100th win with a few races to go after uh, after the British Grand Prix but I mean what an achievement Chris I mean, I know we 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 praise Hamilton on, on this on this podcast, but I mean anyone across the sport, if you're a Hamilton fan or not, has to agree that this is truly remarkable and probably won't won't be done for a very, very, very long time, if ever again. Yeah, it's you know it, it wasn't the race performance, which is why we've we've said Hamilton uh is hundredth win. No. Because that race was entirely Lando Norris and, you know, if he had won that race, it would have been in this top five moments for, for Russia. Sure. Yeah, um, but because it's such a significant moment in the sports history, you know, one hundredth win. You know, he got his hundredth pole earlier in the year, but to get that hundredth win is such a big, big thing that you know it is going to be a highlight of the season, whether he wins the championship or not. You know, he's finally got to a hundred wins. And people will say, oh, well, he's got the Mercedes, it's been dominant, it's been miles and above, but he still has to put it on P1 every single race. He still has to do the job. He still yeah, has to get it across with, the line. You know, we've seen it with Valtteri in the past few years that you know he, he hasn't been able to do that, whereas no. this has, and there's always been quite a considerable gap, unless it's a track that Valtteri likes, like, like the likes of Russia. Yeah, and Mexico. For, for that matter as well with the poll that last time out too um, and I think also up there of course you were at the British Grand Prix 
this year but of course Max and Lewis colliding amongst everything else in that race it had it all um, and obviously being British fans this could be seen as bias but I genuinely think that's been one of the most exciting races of this season I think yeah I agree I don't think overall I don't normally think the British Grand Prix is all that but this year we had the top two battling and crashing we had a Ferrari leading the race for near enough 90% of the race mm, mm. which is the first time we've had that since what must have been well, apart from Baku and that was when the Ferrari problem. was a bit off the pace and, and yeah. hadn't made and, that improvement not, not only that but Charles Leclerc did have engine problems in that race as mm, well mm. so you know but we had you know we had the, the first sprint race um, which caused drama we had say the red flag um, we, we had almost everything that you could want in a Grand Prix. We had Hamilton having a 10-second penalty and then clawing his way and overtaking people to then get the win. Mm. It, it wasn't as straightforward as, you know, say Austria, where Max was in front, went on, won the race. It was action-packed. And as a Grand Prix, it was probably one of the best Grand Prix this season, along with, say, the likes of Monza, where it was, you know, different. USA was quite a grand, good Grand Prix. But I think as a whole weekend... Uh, especially with the sprint mode, because I think a lot of F1 fans weren't too up for the sprint mode, but it did change it up a little and it made it exciting for sure. And I think that's why as a whole weekend, the British Grand Prix is probably one of the better Grand Prix to, 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 have, um, to have watched this year. And then say the, the last sort of one of the top five moments we have, me and Jake have gone for the same Grand Prix, but for two different reasons. Jake's gone for Hungary um, for Ocon's win, for his maiden win. Of course. Great drive uh, for Ocon, um, who seems to do very well in the wet, as we saw in Turkey when he didn't even pit. So it seems to be we've got another wet weather driver on our hands there. But from my point of view for Hungary, it was Fernando Alonso's defensive driving on Lewis Hamilton, keeping the Mercedes at bay f- consistently for lap after lap and effectively making sure that Ocon and Seb Vettel, who later got disqualified, <laughs> got the top two mm. positions. So... You know, overall, Alpine at Hungary very much a top moment for us. The other thing that that um, made me chuckle a bit about Alonso was talking about how Hamilton couldn't get past him for like six laps or anything. He was like, "Oh, I don't know why Hamilton was making such a meal of it. He it could have been so easy. He could have had me in one or two laps." But I don't know if that's him just playing down his ability as as Fernando Alonso, or whether he was just actually going for Hamilton savagely. Um, of course, their interesting relationship in the past. But I think Alonso personally was driving very very well that day. And yes, it's definitely worth an honourable mention. And then our final top five moment, Chris, is that is was all of them. Well, that was. Yeah, hang on. So that's all our that's all our top five moments uh, for this season. What are yours? Let us know on on social media. You can comment on our episode post that we put out for this um, on Facebook at around the outside podcast. Just give us a search there, like the page. It would be very much appreciated. And uh, comment your thoughts as to the top five moments as you're as you're listening along to this. And also on Instagram at ATO Podcast underscore. And I think just an honourable mention, you were talking about Vettel being disqualified for P2 in Hungary, but he finished P2 in Azerbaijan. You know, he's again kind of put in that position with what happened in that race, but he still had to do it. And that was an incredible drive, I think, personally, with his teammate Stroll, sadly, in the wall because of a tyre failure in that race. And in a more humorous note, P2 
Perez will not have the drink at Austin in Texas. Uh, he had to drive around the whole race with the banner above him, at, I believe sort of turn nine and ten, saying, do not drink and drive. Well, he wasn't because he didn't have any drink in his Red Bull. The system wasn't working. So that was one of my honourable mentions and sort of favourite, I guess, non-performance related moments of the season. Um, okay top five moments of the season there comment yours we'd love to hear from them uh right let's finish off now predicting this result for the brazilian grand prix if we can this weekend so we're at the time we're at the brazilian grand prix uh we've got you know huge history at this track and for instead of the brazilian grand prix they've called it the sao paulo grand prix but we all know it's brazil um (laughs) But, you know, we last time we saw Max win, we saw Pierre Gasly get second. We even saw, who was it that got the third place? It was, a, it was Carlos Sainz? Yes, I, think it was I believe. Sainz, yeah. Yeah. After all of the uh, yeah, after park firming. Got, yeah, after Hamilton got his penalty and obviously Alex Albon close to getting his podium in 2019. Um, obviously, very different of how where drivers are now. Um, we've already had our sprint qualifying you yeah. to have the sprint race for qualifying <laughs> um so we know at the minute with investigation still going on you know we've got hours until lights out and the way they sprint <laughs> and um yeah so at the minute as things stand it's it's a front row for the title protagonists um but who do you think is going to win the sprint race jake well, I mean, yeah, as you say, it's pretty up in the air at the moment. Um, as At the time of recording this, the stewards are still deliberating uh, as we're in the, the um, final practice of free practice two this weekend. And, I mean, as, I think we have to predict as if we think things are going to stay as they are. Um, so, bearing that in mind, um, I have to think Hamilton's got this one. I mean, four temps up in, in the sprint qualifying, uh, that is... Considering previous races, I think that is quite a considerable margin if you think about it. Um, and Verstappen in the practice sessions uh, in Mexico, you got to think was almost half a second faster. So to have that swing in one race, I know it's a different circuit and everything, and suits different cars, but that that's incredible. I think. Um, so I think I think Lewis is going to take it. I think he really enjoys Brazil. Of course, it's where he won his first ever title at the very last corner. Um, I think he has a very great relationship with it. So I can see him taking home this one. I really can. But Verstappen, of course, also does have a great relationship with Interlagos too. But yeah, Lewis for me on this one. What about you? Well, it's going to be the first time that Max and uh, Esteban Ocon have been at the same racetrack since that collision that <laughs> lost Max a Grand Prix in 2018. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like seeing as the stewards are still talking, um, which has been going on, say, since news broke out it's been probably well over 12 hours if not close to 20 um so you know I, i'm gonna go on the premise that one if not both of them will get a penalty so i'm gonna say oh okay us you... to get the sprint pole all right well i didn't t- i didn't consider that but that you're considering it is interesting i i i I think it'd be very interesting if they both both start from the back of the grid. I think it would be too much to ask of you know only a third race distance yeah, to get to the it's, it's to get to laps. the to get to the front. I think that's a lot to ask, um, especially with the midfield being so competitive in in sort of these last few races and towards the end of the season. Um, 
No, interesting thoughts though. And if they start from the back of the grid, it will be very interesting to see how they come through or, or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but now we're thinking ahead. We're thinking ahead to Sunday. Now we're thinking ahead to the Grand Prix proper. So yeah. whoever wins the sprint race will decide the grid for well, Sunday's race. Say this, but obviously Lewis has got a five place grid penalty for his ICE. So that you know, gets applied again, for the Sunday race. It does. So if Lewis wins the sprint, then he's starting P six. If Lewis doesn't win the sprint, he start further back. Hmm. Yeah. So it could be. Um, <laughs> I mean, Lewis potentially could start at the back of the grid for all we know. Yeah. Well, he so, could. Um, he could. If I mean, if he gets to the put to the back of the grid for this sprint race and doesn't make too much progress, he might as well take a whole new power unit. No. Oh, I mean, uh, I, I was just thinking very similar thoughts. If you you might as well take a whole new ICE, start from the pit lane, avoid turn one carnage, and yeah. make your way through the field. Yeah. Well, that makes that makes that makes quite a lot of sense. Hopefully, Mercedes are on the same wavelength as as we are. But. <laughs> but that doesn't decide. Uh, that doesn't decide our podium, Jake. Mm. Go on, then you go first. What are you? What are you thinking? And are you taking uh, into account that that might be the case of what uh, we just said? Um, I mean, if I'm, if I'm thinking they're going to get a penalty for sprint, I'm going to think in terms of that. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go Valtteri to win the race. Ah, oh, but that doesn't work out very well for Hamilton. And then do you not think they'll swap him around if if he's close enough? Well, it depends how close they are. Yeah. Um, that tells me though go, that you don't think he's going to be very close I'm going to go with Max in second and Lewis in third so you think Lewis will make up enough ground but just not quite enough yeah yeah okay oh god this is interesting for me um, right so I don't think Lewis is going to get a penalty and I think it would be extremely harsh if he does and to be fair same for same for Verstappen to be honest with you um, so I'm going to... I think Lewis has got this this weekend, if things stay as they are. Um, it's hard to see how Max won't get second. And Bottas, um, I don't know, he had a, a bad race last time out, although he has been pretty much up and abouts there in in the practice sessions. But I'm going to say Perez, I think, for this one. Um, I don't know why, just have that have that spidey, so, spidey so sense. I still think he's going to be pretty boring, basically. Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> Red Bulls and, and Mercedes. But it could be Gasly. Could Gasly could pull off another could, extraordinary result again uh, into Longos? Who, who knows? But the only way we will know is by watching the race well, tonight <laughs> for the sprint race, and then tomorrow. Uh, Sunday for the Grand Prix it's very true very true well uh, that's been it for this episode of Rally Outside this week looking ahead to the Sao Paulo Grand Prix we're very excited and pretty much we're very excited for the rest of the season it's it's just edge of your seat stuff we just don't know what way it's going to go it's so close and uh, we'll be taking a look at what happened at Sao Paulo and then looking ahead to the next Grand Prix which will be heading to Qatar in the next in the next race which is going to be exciting to be there and for the first time for f1 so um uncharted territory coming up for f1 teams uh, in these new races on the calendar towards the end of the season uh, we very much hope you'll join us next time here on around the outside it's been me jake and me chris we'll see you very soon enjoy the race and take care